Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. This episode brought to you by Hotel X, the official hotel of Matchpoint Canada. And Mike, you and I uh, just back in town after a busy weekend in Montreal, Quebec, taking in Canada's Davis Cup qualifier against Korea. And what a weekend, I must say. There, there is nothing better than watching uh, a home tie in Davis Cup, uh, especially when the team that you're affiliated with, uh, in this case, Team Canada, ends up coming away with the victory. And it was exciting, uh, not just because of the rabid fans that were there both days, making it sound far more than the 2,000 that were in attendance each day, but also because it got a little bit tight. It got a little bit tense and dramatic on the second day, as we'll get to in a minute. And that added a little extra drama and excitement as well. Yeah, definitely. It was a it was a thrilling weekend for me personally, professionally, and I I don't have that Davis Cup experience really. I I mean, we pointed out the last time Canada had a home tie in Davis Cup was six years ago, twenty eighteen, at the Rico Center in Toronto. And even then, though, I did attend. I attended. I mean, strictly as media, and I wasn't actually sitting amongst the fans. So in this case, where I was seated watching the tennis, I I was actually seated in the rowdiest section of all. So being surrounded by that environment, it is really unique, I think, to to tennis that we only get this a couple times a year, and it's so rare that we get it back in Canada, which was a treat. Absolutely, and uh, I don't know. Do we want to dive into the whole Davis Cup part now? Do we want to? sort of pitch our, our guest this week on the podcast and, and talk about the interview? Where do you want to go first? You know what? We can start with our Davis Cup. Um, but Mike, I, I will mention, of course, you had a great chance to chat with a former Canadian tennis player, Philip Bester, who's now coaching Naomi Osaka. We'll get to that. But I think maybe the Davis Cup qualifier being fresh in our minds, uh, just recapping a big time win for for Canada and of course uh this victory 3-1 over Korea they officially are off to the group stage finals in September you know if you win as they did in 2022 they didn't have to go through this path uh which is qualifying at a couple stages so the challenge is much greater of course but it's a challenge that goes from 24 countries now we're whittled down to 12 and that 12 will become 8 come November but a great start for this team. And I, I think you and I know the MVP probably of the weekend is Gabriel Diallo. Yeah, this Davis Cup squad had a different vibe to it because even though you had some veterans there with, I, I don't want to call them the rookies, but with the younger players, um, the veterans, first of all, Milos couldn't play. He's getting very close to returning. He's hoping to be fit and ready for Rotterdam, but still uh, couldn't go this this weekend for the top right. Vashik was able to play singles and doubles. Um, and I mean, he always says yes to Davis Cup. But the hero really for Canada was a local boy, a Montrealer, Gabriel Diallo, 22 years old. And I, I mentioned it to him in my question after the, uh, the the tie had been completed. Just what an impressive rise for him going from just a couple of years ago, like a, a hitting partner on this squad. Um, you know, one of the bench players who would have been ready only if there had been an injury to now playing a very pivotal role and closing it out for Canada with his second singles win on the Saturday to do it in front of friends, family, the Montreal crowd that was behind him. What a wonderful moment for uh, this young talent that we have. Amazing. Two pivotal singles wins. He got the lead win in singles on the Friday. And then, of course, uh, at the conclusion, the uh, the tie-clinching victory in singles. And you and I talked about, as we were leading off that Friday, 
We start with the two singles rubbers, Gabriel Diallo playing the first one against uh, Sun Wukwon, who's a former top 60 player, a dangerous player, someone who's won an ATP title before. He had been off the tour for a number of months, so his ranking understandably suffered. But a quality ATP guy who's been not only top 100, top 60, as I said, and then you had Vashik Pospisil waiting in the wings for the second singles match. I think I told you, like, I feel like this first singles rubber is pivotal because Kwan is a dangerous player. If he gets that win for Korea in the first match, we haven't seen Vashik play much singles in general over the last year plus, And he's had injury issues that Canada could have had their backs seriously against the wall. And Diallo fought with some challenges in both of those sets to come through with a straight sets win. Absolutely. And and even though I think we all felt pretty confident when we found out that Korea was going to be Canada's opponent compared to some of the other nations that would have been arguably a, a lot more challenging. Um, once the tie actually arrived and we were there in Montreal together, I think we both kind of looked at each other and were like, is this going to be a little trickier than we thought? And yeah, and it turned out it was slightly, um, but fair point about Vashik. He hasn't played a lot of singles. And when he has played, he hasn't been healthy. And he admitted afterwards that 80% of the last two years he's been playing tennis, not even close to, to fully at, uh, at full capacity. So for him, he says at Davis Cup, fortunately, often things align and he is feeling good. And he was feeling good this time. He also did what he had to do on day one by getting the victory. Didn't work out in doubles and credit to the uh, Korean tandem who played really, really well in, in that doubles match, especially in a, in a hostile environment. And, you know, not that the Canadian fans were cheering in a way that was outside of what you would expect in Davis Cup, but mm-hmm. that, that's like having another player on the court almost when you have that many fans that are cheering every single thing on one side and the absence of that when it comes to the, the great Korean points that were happening as well. A hundred percent. And then, you know, after getting those two quality wins in singles, it set up a Saturday where I think probably a lot of Canadian fans were looking ahead thinking this tie could be wrapped up pretty comfortably 3-0 and maybe you get an empty singles for the fourth match. Alexi Gallerno and Vashik Pospisil take the court against Nam and Song of Korea and Gallerno is returning from injury. Uh, this was actually his first match played of 2024, I think. And he admitted in press as well, a little bit of rust searching for his timing on certain shots. And these two players in Nam and Song, largely double specialists. Doubles is their game. And I have to say, they put forth an incredible performance in that match. I thought they were pretty flawless. In fact, they only faced one break point across three sets uh, during all of their service games, come through 6-4, 6-7, 6-3, play a great match, and then suddenly all the pressure is sort of back on Canada because Korea has an opportunity to tie things at two and maybe force it to a decisive fifth singles match. I mean, hey, it would have been boring if they had just done it in three straight anyways. You might be right. (laughs) And tennis fans there got an extra singles match out of it and a little bit more on the line. So I think it was good from a a storyline perspective. It's too bad for Gallerno. It would have been nice for him also, a Montrealer, to be able to get a win in front of his family and friends. Nice story. His mom asked how many tickets were remaining for the Saturday, and there were about 60 or so, and she bought the lot of them, which I thought was was really cool to -hmm. hand out to to more family and friends from the Gallerno camp. But um, look, we've got this talent coming up the pipeline in Gallerno and DLO. And, and Diallo's game to me in particular was just so impressive to see up close, especially in a smaller venue like this, to just see how big the serve is, see how aggressive he could be on the court. Uh, you pointed it out early in the match and, and the Koreans said afterwards that his backhand 
was what impressed them the most. So he's got a very complete game. He's still very much developing as a professional tennis player. He's ranked uh, not too far out the top 100. And I think we both feel pretty confident that at this rate, um, he should definitely be inside the top 100 players in the world at the conclusion of 2024. 100%. Uh, I'd be surprised, very surprised if he, he doesn't achieve that milestone this season. Uh, 132 uh, right now. And yeah, that fourth match against uh, Siung Chan Hong, who is just outside the top 200. Uh, I really, that was probably my favorite match of the tie, honestly, because you had Diallo, Diallo imposing this aggressive big game style and Hong grinding from the back of the court uh, with some incredible defensive skills. And he made an incredible pushback in the second set, which added more drama. It looked like it might be fairly straightforward after Diallo won the first, albeit 7-5, tight set, but it always felt like he was mostly in control. And then Hong was sort of able to shift momentum and steal that second set and you know Diallo remarked impress how was he sort of able to turn the tide immediately in the third he said he went to the bathroom gave himself a pep talk and you saw he really took over in the third secures an early break and then at 4-1 double break complete control of the match and and 6-1 and uh draping the Canadian flag around his shoulders uh for a couple victory laps as uh all the fans were going wild of course this is what I'm going to do in my next tennis match, no matter who I'm playing against. Uh, I'll probably be losing after the first set. So I'll go, go to the washroom and give myself a pep. I've never tried that before, to remove myself from the court, give myself a pep talk, yeah. and see if that works. Um, certainly having that crowd behind him also was something that uh, that helped big time. And I spoke to a couple of the fans afterwards to get their take on what makes Davis Cup so special and the atmosphere. And I just want to give a shout out to a couple of people that were um, kind enough to sort of reply to me. And, and one was Dan Vila, who said that it was more like a soccer match than a tennis match, you know, that it had that football type, European football type of um, atmosphere with the drumming and the chanting. Um, and absolutely agree with that. I wish we could replicate the atmosphere you get at Davis Cup at regular tennis events, but uh, it's a little different when it's country on country. Uh, Dan, by the way, religiously attends Davis Cup with his father and his brother. So it's a real family affair. And nice. it felt that way. It felt like these were the hardcore tennis fans, the most energetic the ones that will probably go to spain should canada get there to malaga um you know to the final eight teams this year um one other i want to shout out to is marie's latendres who says that she just loves how close the fans feel to the players and and how you can just feel that energy and that it's a reciprocal kind of relationship that goes both ways when you've got a smaller venue like that and uh you know we were sitting up there with the drumming right in our ears and um it's it's next level tennis and I think the one critique I have of, of Davis Cup in general these days is the fact that, yeah, we had to wait five, almost six years for a home tie. And um, it's a real shame that those tennis fans have had to wait so long to cheer on their athletes um, here on home soil. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, this is something I wish if it weren't, you know, if it's not yearly, maybe once every two years, uh, because it is really special and unique. And, you know, I, I have friends who, uh, in the past have gone to Davis Cup or Billie Jean King Cup and never really experienced anything like that. And they were actually casual tennis fans and they, you know, came away thinking this was so incredibly cool. My nephew, who's five years old, went with my sister-in-law to the doubles and he was into it for the full two and a half hours last of the match. And they went back and watched some of the singles. So that was uh, pretty incredible at his age that he was really invested. I think he just loved the noise and the atmosphere, thought it was so cool. Um, it's just another way to hook fans on the sport, right? Like when sure. you come to National Bank Open, 
that's its own, you know, entity that has uh, all the activities going around the grounds. It's a much bigger event, of course. And you do get some pretty electric crowds on the center court, too. But this is just, like I said, uh, different. It will hook you in a different way. Um, and I think Davis Cup has so much untapped potential. I know they've been tweaking it for the last few years. It, it wasn't the greatest before either. It was too much, too many ties throughout the year, I think, for, for players yeah. to be able to commit to in an already super busy season. Uh, but there's got to be some way to sort of tweak things a little bit to guarantee that uh, we can see these types of events uh, here at home. No, I, I completely agree. I'll just wrap and mention a, a couple upsets of teams that did go, go through. Now, granted, Serbia did not have Novak Djokovic playing in this qualifier and surely cost, costly Slovakia swept Serbia 4 nothing, which I found surprising. Uh, also, Switzerland going down to the Netherlands was maybe a surprise result for some. USA winning comfortably, Argentina beating Kazakhstan. And uh, Brazil advancing uh, with a huge win over Sweden, uh, three to one, among it's, some other results. It's going to be interesting this year because it is an Olympic year, right? We've got the Paris yeah. Olympics in this summer. And by the time the Olympics are done, who knows what the field will be like at the National Bank Open? You know, admittedly, each time there's an Olympics, it, it does suffer in terms of having all of the top players here as they try and rest and prepare and peak for the US Open, which is a challenge in itself. But after the U.S. Open, how many of these players are going to show up to play Davis Cup right after that for the the, the World Group final stage of, of 16 teams before it gets whittled down to the final eight? So I think this is a year where Davis Cup uh, will also probably see perhaps not the strongest field of players. And you know what? I think that bodes well for Canada, a team that has so much depth right now. As yeah. we saw here, there was no Felix, there was no Dennis. Milos wasn't uh, healthy enough to play either. And we still got the job done. So I think there's enough moving pieces this year that a country like Canada, we should be still very competitive, even if we don't have necessarily our highest ranked players um, come September. Yeah, I uh, completely agree. Before we get to your interview with Philip Esther, uh, just quickly continuing on the men's side, because you mentioned Felix, you mentioned Dennis, both of them competing at the Open Sud de France in Montpellier. And I thought it was a very positive week for Felix Ocialiassime. Uh Two match wins gets to the semifinals and, and gets some ranking points and loses in three sets to the eventual eventual winner of the title, Alexander Bublik, 4-6-6-4-6-4, had this uh, great win over Arthur Cazot, who's a young name, a young French name, you should remember, because he defeated Holger Runa at the Australian Open, uh, still at, I think, 21 years old now and, and rising rapidly in the rankings. He was down 5-3 in the third set in that match, came back and won it. That's the type of match Felix was losing, I feel like, all of last season. So I think that could be a trend in a very good direction. And then quickly as well, Denis Shapovalov, first win of the season, beats Hugo Gaston comfortably in straight sets. And then also loses to Bublik, who was the Canadian killer this week, in three sets. Bublik also coming down from a set down. Uh, Shapovalov had match points in the second set tiebreak, but Bublik coming through. So I actually thought pretty good week overall for, for both these Canadians. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I totally understand why they prioritize this event over Davis Cup this time around. Both these guys have have given so much to Canada over the years, and they're both in a position where their ranking is lower than where they want it. Dennis is in particular because of being off for the second half of last year. He's outside the top 100, definitely wants to try and get that back up as quickly as possible. And for Felix, who was a top 10 guy for a lot of the last year or so, and now is, uh, what, hovering inside or just outside the top 30. So, yeah. again, for him, wants to commit to make sure he can keep that ranking in the top 32 to be seated at the majors this year. Um, so certainly makes sense. I mean, for Felix, he's such a great indoor player. You 
you kind of wish that, you know, we could just maybe make the national bank open like indoors, put a, put a roof over and have all of Felix's match indoors because um, I don't want to say he's a totally different kind of player, but boy, does he have confidence when it's, when it's under a roof. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, I, I think he had been 29 and four over his last 33 matches indoors before that loss to Bublik, which is fantastic. Bublik is also very dangerous on this type of surface and very cool stat from him, by the way, with this title, all every single one of his match wins this week, he came from a set down first player in ATP history, I believe, in the open era to win a tournament coming back from down a set in every single match. Not not a position you probably want to put yourself in, but uh, <laughs> no kidding. Perseverance, I guess, to get the job done, right? Yeah. And as you said, like picking your spots in the schedule and probably the time for Felix and Dennis to miss Davis Cup. Felix actually playing again right away this week, still in France uh, at the Open 13 Provence. He's going to be seated seventh there. So more opportunity, I think, to just build more ranking points. He's up to 28th right now and uh, can only go higher and higher, I think. We're going to switch over now. And uh, we spoke about Davis Cup to open the podcast. And I had the chance to interview a player who's represented Canada a few times in Davis Cup competition. That's Philip Bester, who's now retired, but uh, has really established himself as a, a top coaching professional, has a business that he runs in Los Angeles, and this year, um, maybe you've heard his name or seen him around because he's now part of Team Naomi Osaka as a hitting partner and confidant on her team. And so it was really great to catch up with him, find out a bit about what he's been up to since retirement, but definitely dive into what it's like working with one of the greatest tennis players in the world. So let's have a look at my interview with Canada's Philip Bester. This week on Matchpoint Canada, we're pleased to welcome to the podcast former professional Canadian tennis player Philip Bester, who achieved a career-high ranking of number 225 on the ATP and was also a member of the 2006, 2011, and 2016 Davis Cup squad. Philip, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. I also appreciate you. Uh, I know you're on a bit of an empty stomach now that the food is coming shortly, so uh, we appreciate the sacrifice you're making for us too here. No problem. No, uh, no hangry. It's not going to be a hangry interview. So no worries. <laughs> That's good. Thanks for, thanks for clearing that up. Um, I want to start with, uh, you know, it's been a few years since we've heard your name in uh, tennis circles since you hung up the racket yourself. And uh, we were all very excited, Canadian tennis fans, to see your name associated with one of the greatest tennis players around in Naomi Osaka, who you've been hitting with and, and being a part of her team in the in her return to tennis after uh, some time away to, to become a parent. And uh, so I guess let's start with that one, which is what I'm sure our listeners are kind of excited to hear about. How did that partnership uh, come about? Uh, yeah, it's, it's been super exciting. It's um, it's obviously, it's incredible to be surrounded uh, by not only Naomi and, and the incredible person and athlete that she is, but also her whole team. Uh, and essentially Chris Eubanks, um, gave, uh, her team, my contact as they were looking for, um, a new hitting partner in the area and, uh, and essentially, uh, I, yeah, basically said, of course, you know, I'd love to come out and help and, uh, you know, give her what she needed before the Australian open. And that quickly turned into me going into to the Australian Open with her and the team and 
things have kind of evolved uh, very quickly and uh, kind of unexpectedly in, in, in the sense of I've become a much bigger role and, you know, not just a hitting partner, but also a second set of eyes. And, um, you know, I have a really great dynamic with uh, her uh, head coach, uh, Wim Facet. So it's uh, it's been incredible, a really great um, not only experience, but uh, just the dynamic we have with the team right now is extremely positive. Chris Eubanks, we've had him on the podcast a couple times in recent years as well. What a great guy and and so versatile, both with his tennis playing and what he did last year, career year for him, but also what he does on the other side, sort of doing some media as well. So do you owe him a little uh, something for hooking you up with uh, with this gig? Um, I mean, look, I ran into him in Australia um, and I guess um, I guess I've earned a good enough reputation where my name, uh, you know, came to his mind, not only from a hitting standpoint, but also, you know, he was, you know, he wanted to, I'm sure, pass on, you know, someone that wasn't going to be a problem. And, you know, essentially, um, you know, for someone like Naomi. I think it needed to be a good fit for the people that are around her who are, you know, going to be, you know, down to earth and and kind of uh, create a really positive environment for her. So uh, do I owe him anything? You know, sure, I'll take him out for a beer. But I had a great chat with him in Australia. And um, I guess, uh, yeah, I'm just uh, I'm grateful that um, I've left a good reputation, even though I uh, haven't been around the tour for, you know, six years. Right on. Now, I'm assuming you'd never met Naomi before in person before this. No, I hadn't met her before this, no. So what was it like when you go out for that very first hit? I mean, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I know I'd be feeling all kinds of nerves, even though you've got such a history as a as a professional tennis player and you've been hitting balls forever. It's something else maybe when you're going out against one of the best players in the world and a multiple Grand Slam champion. So maybe just share a little bit about what those initial feelings were as you went out for that first day of, of meeting face-to-face. -face. Uh, yeah, look, I think... I mean, naturally, there's always going to be some nerves. Uh, we actually had an incredible first session. Uh, the first rally we had was uh, literally like, you know, like five or seven minutes long. It was just, it was ridiculous. Like maybe seven is exaggerating. But, um, you know, she said that, and we talked about this at a team dinner in Australia. Uh, we were kind of reminiscing on, you know, how how we met and and, you know, what we thought of each other when we first met. And uh, she said that, it was one of the best practices that she had had the, the best that she had hit the ball in a long time. So that was, you know, a huge compliment and very humbling. Um, look, being, being in the, in the role of, you know, being the hitting partner is not an easy role. It's um, you know, there's a lot of pressure involved. You want to make sure that you're doing uh, you're giving the quality you're doing what's needed from the other side. Uh, I think with Naomi, it's really easy because she creates a very relaxed, uh, non-pressure environment where, you know, she actually was apologizing more than I was, <laughs> which was funny. Uh, and yeah, it's for sure. There's definitely nerves. I mean, the first warm up on uh, Rod Laver before she was going out for her night match, um, you know, you're you're on a time crunch, 25 minutes. And you have to perform, right? You got to go out and get the job done. And I think now at the age of 35 with um, quite a bit of experience in, in my back pocket and, and you know, kind of going away from the game and experiencing what real life is, I'm able to 
put things into perspective and uh yeah it was we had a great first session and uh it's been it's been really great ever since that's awesome to hear that i mean aside from being such an incredible first class athlete she's a great human being as well just from talking to her impress over the years and uh what a wonderful ambassador for the sport we're so lucky to have her back you must be very excited about um i suppose what comes next and you made it sound initially like it was maybe going to be a shorter term thing but are you saying now that this is going to carry on into 2024 between you and her and her team? Yeah. You know, um, so when I retired, I was, I moved out to LA and and it was Wayne and Janet Gretzky that relocated me to, to coach uh, their younger daughter, Emma, who ended up going to SMU wow. and uh, I've remained out here. So uh, in the last uh, two and a half years um, uh, after the, uh, after Emma, I worked with another family privately, and and their son ended up going to UC Berkeley, which was a huge, uh, huge success for 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 them. And um, yeah, basically, I have my own business out here, own coaching business for two and a half years now. I've built a really great uh, you know clientele, and I have incredible students and families that I work with privately um, of all levels and ages. So. Initially, this was a short-term thing where I had committed to, you know, working with her a few hours a day um, out of my schedule. I made that room in my, you know, busy schedule here because I have a full schedule. Uh, and then um, the team had asked if I could, you know, carry over to Australia. So this was short-term. Um, and I guess what ended up happening is uh, it just it just clicked on a lot of different levels. Um, you know, I really enjoyed being around her and being with her. I felt that the team really made me feel like I brought a lot of value to, to her and to the team. And obviously that made me feel really good because, um, you know, I, I was essentially stepping aside from something that was, you know, very, very stable and, and going really well. And, uh, it was, it was humbling to hear from her team. And from her, um, you know, that they really wanted me to continue uh, for the rest of the season and, and travel to, um, you know, the big tournaments and to continue with this. So that's the plan right now. Uh, we're leaving to uh, the Middle East uh, next week for a couple weeks. And in the midst of it, it's important for me to say that, um, you know, regard despite the fact that I'm essentially I like this I'm saying I like to call it I'm I'm taking on a new student which requires me to travel a little bit more uh I've still um I still care a lot about I still care the same and I'm still as committed to all my students here in LA you know no matter what the circumstances are and and uh so I'm making it all work but to keep a, a long answer short yes I'm going to continue with the team and um it's uh, i'm really looking forward to it that's great to hear and and i can imagine that uh you know whenever this you know partnership either winds down or slows down or, or when you go back to doing you know working on your business a little bit more it's going to do wonders in terms of uh, probably bringing a few more clients your way having uh being able to add something like this to your resume too for sure it's it's a great resume builder um you know truthfully speaking i have more demand down here than I can handle. And that's a great thing. It's, I feel very grateful that, you know, that's the, um, you know, what, what I've created down here, it's all been word of mouth through all my other clients. So 
I think that what I take out of this opportunity and this experience is, you know, I'm still learning. I'm, I'm, I'm open to learning and growing. I'm with one of the, the greatest female tennis players, athletes in the world, as well as, you know, arguably one of the best coaches in the world because he's, um, he's accomplished a lot in his career and, you know, Wims won multiple grand slams with different, um, different, different players. So I have, a lot of respect for him and and there's a lot that I learn from him and I think what makes it work between him and I is that we have a real good respect for each other and you know I know my my role my position uh and uh if you know I just I just want to try and help to to see her get back to the top of the game and that's the that's the goal how far would you say right now she has to go to getting into you know her top gear obviously being away from the sport for some time the rest of the tour isn't going to wait and stop for her to come back. The women's game arguably has gotten even stronger in her absence. There's just so much depth that feels like on the WTA. And just look at her first round matchup at the Aussie Open. I mean, she draws a regular top 10 type player in Caroline Garcia. Um, so how far away do you think she is from, I'm not saying getting back there and winning slams, but her game anyways, from where she wants it to be, I guess, at this point. You know, she's uh, she's come a very long way in a short period of time. She's worked extremely hard. Uh, you know, it's important to remember that only six months ago did she, she give, you know, birth. So, uh, you know, the, and the level itself, I can say, you know, from my standpoint, being on the other side of the net day in, day out, the level is there and it's only going to get better. It's actually scary to, to see the level that she is at already in such a short period of time. Um, you know, Melbourne, uh, Garcia played incredible. She played at an extremely high level. Uh, and, you know, the week before in Brisbane, Pliskova, who had won Brisbane uh, two or three times already, was a defending champion, also played an incredible match. I mean, the match itself was total points was 101 to 100. So, uh, you know, in terms of level, she's not far from uh, – you know, winning again and and being successful, uh, there's no doubt uh, that it's going to happen this year. And she just needs matches. You know, it's one of those. It's the process that you have to go through when you're away from the game for a certain amount of time. Uh, and we've just reminded her to to be patient, keep perspective. And uh, yeah, it's um, she's she's very close. She's extremely impressive on the other side of the net, and it's uh, it's been really cool to to witness it all up close. Right on. If if I could ask you a little bit more specifically about her game and what it's like to be on the other side of the net from someone like Naomi. I mean, she's such a power player, packs uh, quite a bit of heat behind those shots. How did you find it when you stepped out there? Did anything catch you by surprise? Or, um, I mean, clearly you've been working with juniors, so this is uh, quite a few steps up in terms of uh, what she can do out there with the racket. Uh, what surprised you a little bit with her game? And, and what did you notice when you... Uh, you know, go head to head with her, so to speak, across the net. I think what was, well, I mean, I know what was really impressive, what I shared with my family and my girlfriend when I got home was, uh, number one, how how good she was at anticipating, uh, how hard she hit the ball, the power source that she has, uh, and as well as being able to change direction off of any ball that lacks just a little bit of quality. So, uh, you know, I... Again, like for my, I'm still hitting with 
um, you know, some college level players and and some high performance juniors. And I'm honestly, I'm probably hitting the ball better than I ever have still now, which is really great. But um, for sure, it's just fun to be able to hit that, you know, at that level with her and to see what she's able to do um, and to really feel you know, her ability to, to be so quick at anticipating or to be able to change direction on a ball. So yeah. And the power is, uh, I mean, it's like, she crushes the ball. She really yeah. crushes the ball. Next level. eh? Yeah. Yeah. How, how does it make you feel being back, uh, you know, on the tour, so to speak in this kind of a, a role, a supporting role, a role, part of the team, how does it make you feel about, uh, hanging up the racket? Do you, does it make you miss it? Is this the next closest thing to competing yourself? Does it sort of scratch that itch a little bit, competitively speaking, given your background in the sport? Uh, honestly, no, doesn't. I don't have an itch. I'm very at peace with where I am. I look back on my career with a lot of pride uh, for what I accomplished, and uh, you know, it take it took a lot of sacrifice. Anybody that's gotten to that level. Um, it takes a lot of sacrifice and a lot of hard work to get there. And I think that, uh, I don't, I don't like the stereotype or not. I mean, the, basically in the tennis world, when it's said that, oh, you didn't get to the top hundred, so you didn't make it per se. Um, you know, there's, there's so many incredible players out there that have done a lot and gotten to, you know, top 200, top 250. Um, and so, you know, just. Going to these tournaments again, I think what was really great for me is this, yeah, like you're in the middle of it all again. However, this time it was so much less stressful. I was able to just enjoy being there. Um, I think what was really cool was running into all the players, uh, coaches, the people that, you know, were on tour that still are on tour. And it was almost like we were picking back up from where we left off. It was I guess it made me feel good to that, you know, people remembered me. Uh, it's always a nice feeling when you're away from the game and you come back and like second day, I uh, went down for breakfast at the hotel and ran into Dimitrov and we literally like, you know, we, we had breakfast together for an hour and a half and just caught up on everything. So um, it's nice. It's less stressful. Um, I don't have the itch at all i think what i'm doing right now teaching and coaching is is what i'm supposed to be doing and obviously it's pretty cool that there's also that aspect of sitting in the box and playing the match with her the only thing is maybe i'm a little more nervous because so many more things are out of my control that's right i'm sure i'm sure well that's cool that you get to reconnect with so many players that you would have hit with or played against during your time on tour and uh Obviously, if you're uh, hitting the road with Naomi a fair bit this year, you're going to have many of those breakfasts and other random encounters, I'm sure, to uh, to enjoy, which is great. I don't want to keep you too much longer, Phil, but uh, I do want to ask you, although we're releasing this episode after Canada's Davis Cup tie against Korea, uh, how many of those Canadian guys do you keep in touch with? And when they're healthy, what do you think this squad is capable of? Obviously, internationally speaking, we're the reigning Billie Jean King Cup champions on the women's side, which was so fantastic to see a few months ago prior to that the davis cup the year before um what do you think are we'll talk about the male squad right now because they're hitting the court um shortly against korea but 
mm-hmm. what do you think they're capable of when all those guys are uh, are able to show up for their country? Look, they've proven to be world champions already. So, you know, basically they can be world champions again. Um, I still stay in close touch with uh, most of the guys. You know, Felix, Dennis and I had a nice lunch in Melbourne and caught up. Um, Peter Polanski is my best best buddy. I know he's not playing anymore, but he was a big part of the Davis Cup team for many years. Milos ran into Milos, you know, as well. It was nice to see him and so great to to see him back. I know he struggled with injuries and, and, you know, not being able to play. So look, I think we've got a, it's a great group of guys with a lot of talent and a lot of skill. Um, they all want to accomplish the same thing. Uh, I think when you taste victory, when you taste, you know, what it, what it's like to, to go to the ship and to win the championship, you just want more. And I think they're definitely motivated from, you know, not doing what they wanted to this last Davis Cup. And uh, I'm just super happy for them, super happy for them, super excited for them. And it's just, you know, I, I watch from my couch in my living room now on the Tennis Channel and, and uh, you know, watch them do their thing. Uh, we're feeling pretty spoiled in this country for sure with what's happened with uh, tennis over the last 10, 15 years, really. And, and so many good things hopefully to come as well. Um, before we wrap up, I'm going to, Make a little adjustment here and go from tennis to uh, hockey. You're from out west, uh, British Columbia. I'm guessing a big Vancouver Canucks fan. Uh, I grew up, full disclosure, in Montreal, so Habs fan right here. But I respect the Canucks and, and what they're doing. they got an exciting young team. My eight-year-old son, Dylan, they're his favorite team right now. You must be pretty happy with how things are clicking for them so far halfway through the year. For sure. I Yes, I'm a huge Vancouver Canucks fan. Um, it's been a difficult last 10 years or more ever since 2011 I think it took a long time to rebuild not just with the team and but just the I think the emotional part of it people were really grieving kind of what happened in Vancouver with the riots and um, I think uh, the team is first of all it's so fun to follow them I still watch you know almost every game wherever I am uh, and their leadership that they have with Rick. Uh, I was fortunate enough to meet Rick and spend some time with him when I was working with uh, the Gretzkys, as uh, I believe Rick and Wayne played it, played yeah. together, or they played on the same line. They were the same uh, era, so, played together on uh, Canada Cup teams, I think, as well. So Right. Yeah. So I got to know Rick, and, and I mean, he's uh, he's exactly what that team needed. He's exactly what that team needs in terms of bringing them together and playing for each other. So it's for sure been really fun to watch. You know, I'm really happy for all the fans in Vancouver because I know that, you know, there's even bigger diehard fans such as myself. So it's great to see. And uh, if I can add one more thing just to the last question that you had asked me, I mean, a huge congrats to the, is it still called the Fed Cup team? Billie Jean King Cup. Well, okay. So anyways, to the, to the women's team, I mean, I mean, that's incredible, you know, what they did. It was so great to see them win the championship and, and, you know, the year after the men. So, um, it's super cool to see, you know, um, both men and women on tour doing so well and uh, essentially setting a great example for all the, the younger generations in Canada. Absolutely. I mean, I think there was about a one week period there before the Davis Cup finals where we were simultaneously men's and women's women's world champions, which uh, 
I just think back to me being a tennis fan as a kid. And, and if you had told me back then that that would ever happen, like it would have been hard. I would have had to pinch myself to believe it, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, final question. It'll be a great one. Literally. I'm going to, that's a terrible pun. I'm going to ask you about the great one. And uh, what was it like to coach one of his kids? Is he a big tennis fan? And did you get to hit any tennis ball, balls with, uh, with Wayne Gretzky as well? Uh, yeah, incredible incredible opportunity experience um you know working with emma was an absolute pleasure she's the sweetest girl and and i'm so glad that she went on to play college tennis it's it's from what i'm hearing and and what i know she's having a lot of fun there and 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 is uh you know being you know really successful look it was i mean the gretzkys are extremely just generous you know people um you know i'd have a few hours of of tennis with Emma. And then, you know, I kind of, I was just hanging out at the house with Wayne and Janet and got to know them on a real personal level and, and can, you know, you know, say that they're friends of mine now. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of like, I guess the best example that I can give is the first day that I was in LA. Um, they were very generous to allow me to live in one of their homes in the community that, they were in for the first couple months as I got situated and and I see my phone ringing at 7 PM and it's Wayne calling me. And so it's like stress through the roof, right? I'm like, okay, like what, what, what have I I've done something wrong? Do I need to be somewhere, you know, teaching her? And he just, I go, hey, hello. He goes, Hey, Phil, what are you doing? I go, Oh, Hey Wayne, uh, just unpacking. And anyways, uh, he, he invited me down to the house to watch uh, an Oilers game. They were playing against somebody, and I found myself, you know, uh, having a couple beers and watching uh, hockey with Wayne. Uh, you know, just uh, talking about hockey and everything. And and in terms of tennis, I mean, yes, they're big big tennis fans. You know, love tennis. Uh, played doubles. We had a couple very high intensity uh, mixed doubles matches with. Uh, I think it was Janet and I against Wayne and, and Emma. So uh, super cool experience, um, you know, memories that I'll have forever. And uh, it's just been uh, it was it was real, uh, real privilege to, you know, be able to uh, teach Emma and, and, you know, become good friends with them. Very cool. Very cool that he'd have you over, even though you're a Canucks fan, too. Um, thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Philip. Um, I wish you all the best this year in your new role as a uh, hitting partner and, and confidant, really. I mean, hitting partner entails a lot, as you mentioned, with, with Naomi this year. Uh, I hope it's hugely successful for her and for you and the whole team. And uh, best of luck to your Canucks, too, as uh, you're looking good for the playoffs right now. So knock on wood, hope you have a, a deep run with the Canucks going into the spring as well this year. I appreciate it. Good luck to your Habs. Thank you for having me, and uh, best of luck to the uh, the boys uh, in Davis Cup. There you have it, Mike's conversation with Canadian Philip Bester. A quick word from our sponsor, Hotel X. Looking for the perfect urban getaway for your next family vacation? Look no further than Hotel X Toronto, the city's premier urban resort. With its state-of-the-art fitness facility, 10XTO, and four indoor tennis courts, there's something for everyone in the family. But that's not all Hotel X has to offer. With luxurious amenities from the rooftop pool to the award-winning Gurlane Spa, from the 250-seat cinema to the three-level sky bar, there is so much to see and do all under one roof. Whether you're visiting Toronto 
Toronto for business or pleasure, Hotel X is the perfect choice for families and individuals alike. Book your stay today at Toronto's only urban resort, Hotel X Toronto. Experience the extraordinary. And talk about extraordinary, Philip Esther. Um, you know, he's working as a coaching pro in California. He's built up this business. He has various clients. Gets a call from friend Christopher Eubanks. Do you want to hit the courts with Naomi Osaka? And now joins the team for arguably one of WTA's biggest stars uh, fully for the season and maybe beyond. Pretty extraordinary. Who's going to say no to that offer? Eh? No kidding. Chris Eubanks. <laughs> I mean, we've had Chris Eubanks on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. That guy seems to have his hands in everything. So that's pretty cool to see that he's helped one of our Canadians um, get matched up with yeah, such a terrific talent. And what an exciting year to be working with her as she's coming back, uh, trying to reestablish herself in the, the upper echelons of the game. I have no doubt that she's going to be able to do it. She's just got way too much talent, way too much skill, and she's achieved so much already at such a young age. She's got so much time ahead of her left as well in her career to accomplish things. I'm, I'd am i say on the women's tour, there's no one I'm more excited for in 2024 than to see what Naomi Osaka is capable of doing. 100%. And uh, I mean, the gig is already getting busy for filibuster because uh, not only, of course, did he travel with her to Australia, but Osaka back in action this week in Abu Dhabi. We talked about with Nick McCarville, I remember on the previous episode, what a tough draw for Osaka in Australia. This is a very challenging draw again. Uh, she lined up for a qualifier. The qualifier, Danielle Collins, who looked great in her first two qualifying matches, looked incredible in Melbourne. Talk about a first-round match, a former Grand Slam finalist against the four-time Grand Slam champion, uh, Collins versus Osaka. And it's funny because Osaka's on her way back into the game, and Collins has already announced that she's going to be leaving the game at the end of 2024. So, you know, she's not going to be messing around. She's going to go into every tournament um, and just fighting to go as deep in the draw as she possibly can. So that's not going to be an easy one at all. But, look, this is what these returning players have to expect, and there's a slew of them on the women's tour this year between... Osaka, Anisimova, Radicanu, Angie Kerber. We're looking forward to adding Bianca Andreescu's name to that mix, hopefully in and around Indian Wells, uh, as she's still recovering from a back injury. But uh, it's not going to be easy for any of these women to do so, as the game is just so incredibly competitive right now. But uh, yeah, this is going to be a fun story to watch. Uh, Philip Bester, uh, we'll definitely have to have him back on the podcast later in the year to see how that is progressing. And, uh, you know, the one thing that surprised me in the interview from him I think it's the first time I've, I've spoken with him, I think on the podcast anyways, uh, his Wayne Gretzky connection as mm-hmm. he coached Wayne Gretzky's daughter, Emma Gretzky, um, in tennis for quite a while and, and has developed a great rapport and friendship with the Gretzkys as a family. And, uh, you know, for those listeners who are outside of Canada, like Wayne Gretzky is Canadian royalty, basically. There's no one who's got like a higher, um, you know, or, or next to no one who's got a higher sort of... Uh, profile in the Canadian sports world than Wayne Gretzky. So kind of neat to see that hockey tennis connection there. Very cool. And I think Testament certainly to his abilities as a coach uh, to attract clients like that. And I I don't really have memories of watching Philip Bester play. I mean, he reached a career high of 225, but a very cool stat for him. He was the first Canadian male ever to reach a Grand Slam final in singles by being a finalist at the Junior French Open back in 2006. He was a superstar junior. Um, so, I mean, that's that's very cool. And I, he was one of those top junior athletes uh, out of BC back in the day. And, uh, of course, has, has put together a solid tennis career and now a great coaching career ahead. 
yeah, our thanks to Philip Bester for joining us this week. Our thanks to the fans that we talked to at the Davis Cup. Uh, I mean, just what a great weekend for both of us to get there live, to be able to chat with the players, to be able to see that tennis firsthand. And uh, I know you're doing some social media content for Tennis Canada. I'm working on a couple of articles for them. And um, it has me excited for September. So maybe we should start, uh, you know, saving up now and, and planning our schedule and blocking off that time because I know that would be a heck of a lot of fun to, to head overseas as well and, and see that play out. And I, I really do think that Canada has a great shot of going deep this year as they did just a couple of years ago in 2022, winning the whole darn thing. Absolutely. And that's uh, exactly what Frank Dancevic said in press. He feels like as a nation, they can beat anybody. This weekend, they get the win over Korea. They are off to the finals group stage. Guys, we are off. Uh, Thanks so much for listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time.